I would say that every single one of these folks that I've been able to talk to, they all have an insatiable desire to make things better. And that's inspiring to me because I'm a designer because I want to make things better. I love making things better. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. On this episode, this is the guy, this is special because this is the guy who started it all for me anyway. He's he started a longtime podcast, User Defenders. If you've never had the pleasure of a, you're a designer, you're missing out and you should definitely check it out. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be a guest twice on his show. Welcome to the show, Jason Ogle of User Defenders. Hey, Hey, Peck. Thank you for having me, man. This is great. I just found out you had a podcast recently and you already <laughs> just, have like, I think 10 episodes or something out there nearly. So it's it's pretty awesome. I appreciate you having me on the show, man. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Just getting started 13, 14 episodes with maybe like, you know, maybe six or seven kind of in, in various processing. I, I have all sorts of questions to ask you, like what inspired you to, to start all this and all this stuff. So we'll get into it. First, I want to shout out to the people who have taken the time to review the and left a rating uh, on the podcast. I really appreciate it. So we're going to call out Gaia Bebe. Inspirational for designers. What is UX podcast is Pex asking the right questions with industry leaders. As a designer myself, it's inspirational to hear the answers that clarify the abstract and show the value of design thinking. Well, thank you so much, Gaia. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Jason. So give us a little intro. How would you introduce uh, yourself to the audience for the folks who've been living under a rock and have never listened to the Users Defenders podcast? Yes, I love technology. <laughs> yes, I love the World Wide Web. Always and forever. I'm an alcoholic with a software problem. Nice. One of the nice. one of those parts, one of those one part of that statement is true, only part of it. And so I fell in love with computing. My dad brought an Apple IIe to the house in the 80s. And then he brought an Amiga into that house made by Commodore computers. That was their like cutting edge computer that was very visual, very incredible graphics and processing power and motion and 3D effects right at the time. And I discovered this, it, the computer actually came with a, a book that taught you basics of a basic. And that was like uh, one of the original early programming languages. That's right. And then I found out that I could actually make Amiga talk by if I learn this, these keystrokes, if I learn the syntax, I could make her say something to me. And I was like, no way. And I immediately I ate it up. And then just the whole cause and effect of programming, it really like it was a light bulb for me. And I was already having a lot of fun on the Apple IIe playing games and such. Some of those like choose your own adventure. It's all DOS. So it's like, what happens next, right? It's like in, in Big. Remember the movie Big? When he was playing, it starts off with him playing that computer game where it's like, you're in a cave. There's a treasure chest. There's, right? <laughs> so you're, and, and the graphics are really bad now, but awesome then. And, and you get to decide what the character does by just typing in your answer. And I don't know, there was just a real mystique that just grabbed me. And I was like, this is so cool. 
And then when I started, I could realize I could program some code and make the computer do something. I was like, this is amazing. And of course, nobody knew what, anything about web design yet. That was another 10 years away, really, at least. So that's sort of, that was kind of my initial touch points with computing. And then I discovered America Online, which was really the first democratized web platform or, or platform period where you could actually get online using your telephone. Kids, we used to have phones that were connected to the walls and they had wires on them. If you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, which is so great because that movie was made more in modern times and they all still had those phones with the wires. Anyway, I, I just kind of like I, I started to realize I realized that I could create my own website using code. So I, using my art interest and my technology interest, I was able to combine both of those at the beautiful marriage of form and function, right? The beautiful marriage of design and technology, and then create a website, even though it was cheesy, of course, it was all about me and just a bunch of animated GIFs. It was so amazing to, that the amazing thing was that I could publish this and anybody in the entire world could see what I just created. I couldn't believe that this was true. And so I just went all in on learning as much as I could with the information available to us at the time, which wasn't very much. It was just some of the early bloggers, right? Like Zeldman and Christopher Schmidt. And of course, David Siegel. I read his book, Creating Killer Websites. I don't know if you remember David Siegel. He, he, he was one of the early pioneers of realizing how you can break really like almost, I want to say hack, but it's like really break the way the browsers were intended to interpret code. And so he really started creating like the whole tables, the nested tables, and then the image when the image tag was introduced, that it, it was just a wild west from there. Right. So I, I loved how he called himself an HTML terrorist too. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty funny term for yourself. But man, I learned so much from that guy. And then, and of course, Delman and all these other guys that were blogging and teaching and then just trying stuff, right? You got to experiment. And that's what I loved about, especially the early web. It was just a wild frontier. There was, it was just wide open. You could just do really whatever you wanted. And then Flash came along and that was fun. There was no constraints at all with Flash, right? You didn't have to depend on the browser constraints. And, and of course, we found out later that wasn't the best way to build entire websites, especially for accessible issues and such, right? But man, that was fun. And, yeah. and then, you know, flat, fast forward today, I'm still doing this work. It's evolved a lot. So if, I feel blessed and thankful that, I, that I've seen the entire evolution of the web and, yeah. and also early computing. I really feel thankful that I've been able to see so much change for the, for the better, I think, ultimately. Yeah. The jury's still out on AI. <laughs> yeah, I think people who were born into like modern smartphone technology, I don't know if they have the same appreciation for how bad, you know, like not maybe not bad, but like how awesome technology was like making the computer talk was so amazing, right? Like now it's just whatevs. Of course, computers can talk, you know, there's Alexa, you can hit a play <laughs> button and, and a computer can talk and you can play media back and you can listen to music. That wasn't the case back then. Just making a pixel move, putting lines on the screen. You're like, whoa, this is so cool. Now it's, you know, the complexity has evolved. And I, I think there's a, you kind of get numb to that or you, you kind of don't appreciate how far it's come within just a few decades. 
Yeah, we really do take it for granted. I was actually just talking about this recently with a guest, and I think it was Steve Bromley on his uh, Games User Research episode. We were, I just really felt like, man, a, a lot of young people like my kids and your kids growing up in this, they, they grew up with smartphones basically in their hand, like a, 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 a computer a million times faster than the one that sent the men to the moon in 1969. That, it's incredible, but they grew up with it. So they just, they don't quite appreciate it. And I, and that's fine. I understand that they don't appreciate it. Like, like we do having seen how dang slow these things used to be even getting online in the nineties, right. Dialing your, your phone into, uh, this horrible screechy sound every time you had to hear it. It was worth it though, right? The, the reward, the payoff was worth that awful sound you'd hear when your modem was connecting to the internet. And then just trying to get all your crap done on AOL before your hours ran out. You only had certain hours. You could only pay by the hour back then to get online. It was really crazy. How many free AOL CDs did you have? <laughs> Dude, I collected those things. I, I had a stack of them. Yeah, I really did. I mean, they came in the mail every day. It seemed like you got a new CD. So yeah, that was, those were valuable for sure. Yeah, I saw a comic (laughs) saying something like uh, back back in my day, when you had to, when you wanted to go on the internet, you had to sacrifice a modem uh, and kill it until it screeched out. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good description. That's really what it felt like. It felt like it was dying every time it was trying to get you online. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, the, you know, the huge reason that I'd love to kind of get your insights on the show is you've spoken to so many designers through your podcast journey that I'd love to get, you know, in some ways you've, you've kind of encapsulated and hopefully sucked out so much knowledge from these designers. I understand you've interviewed, you know, in, in these almost six years that you've done your podcast, you've had interviewed over a hundred guests on your show. So I'd love to maybe... You know, what, what insights, nuggets stuck with you in this journey? There's so many, Peck. It's really hard. <laughs> it's hard to narrow it down. But if I had to seek out like a through line, right? Like when you're putting a talk together, I can't say this with absolute authority because I haven't really ever given like a talk in front of a bunch of people at an event, but I've done presentations right at work and things like that but when you're putting a presentation together you really want to identify the through line because you can tell as an audience member you can tell when a talk is just really dis- disjointed and it's sort of like there's a bunch of points from here there and there but it's like what's your main point like what are you trying to drive home through this entire talk so if if i had to identify a through line into all the guests that I've been able to speak to, yourself included, I would say that every single one of these folks that I've been able to talk to, they all have an insatiable desire to make things better. And that's inspiring to me because I'm a designer because I want to make things better. I love making things better. And so I'd say that's probably the most common thread that I've seen. And I really dig that because if, if not us, then who, right? If we as designers aren't set out to improve anything and everything that we touch, then why are we doing this? Really? I mean, that's an honest question. I think we should all ask ourselves that if we're frustrated with the job and it's a hard job. Yes, it's fun. Yes, it's rewarding. It is hard. I always say software is hard, right? And, but it's worth it. So I think that's one of the, the main themes that I've seen 
through the episodes I've done. And I always, I think one of my favorite best advice, I always ask that question, what's your best advice for aspiring UX superheroes? That's like one of the last questions I ask. And I think still today, it was an early episode with uh, Golden Krishna. The best interface is no interface. Mm, right. Seamless. Really, yeah. He did a ton of research while he was working at Cooper and working at Samsung. And he, the idea here that every, the, the theme that he kept seeing was that there's an app for that. There's an app for that. Everybody wants to create an app for everything and you may not need an app for everything. Right. It's so I, I like how he uses the example of the car. You're, you're just going, you just want to open your car door and you got to pull your phone out. You got to wake up your phone. You got to maybe type your password in or do your face ID or whatever. And then you got to open that app and then you got to wait for the app to load. And then you have to make sure you're on the right screen for that app. And then hopefully your internet connection is strong enough to where it will actually be able to talk to the computer in your car to be able to finally unlock your door. Oh man. <laughs> it's yeah. like, so, just use a key. Just use your key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying. To, but what I was trying to get at here was that his best advice that he gave me, and all of us really, it, it shocked me at first when he said this. I, I almost was slightly offended, to be honest, when he first said it. He said, "Yeah, I have some advice for everyone. Your stuff's not good enough, and it never will be." Yeah. <laughs> Think about that. Your stuff's not good enough, and it never will be. You have to think in you have to think deeper into that statement to realize what he's saying. And thankfully he elaborated. We as designers are always trying to make things better. You have a website you created. It, maybe it's your personal portfolio or your person or your agency website. I how, how, when was the last time you updated your agency website? It's been a while. It's been a while. Is do you think that could be made better? Absolutely. Exactly. I did my portfolio. I, it's, I did half of it. I did like two pages of it, to be honest with you, because I decided to hand code it. You know, like the, my, my ego is like, I want to hand code this. And then it's, I still haven't completed my website. So that's a little vulnerability there, a little humility. But I, I think that his point is that we always want to and should want to make things better and improve upon what's there. And yes, you know, we have a shelf life, just like you're, you wouldn't leave. And I tell coffee people this all the time because a lot of folks don't realize that coffee is a perishable product. It's not, even if you put it in the, the freezer, if it's not airtight, whatever's in your freezer, whatever's in your fridge is getting into your coffee. If you leave your coffee out for more than a week after it's roasted, it's already bad. A lot of folks don't realize that. So, Coffee is a, a perishable product. Our designs are, in some ways, perishable products, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of clients so, don't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was a good, that was a good lesson. I, I was like, yeah, you're right, because I'm not really thrilled with my website, and I've never even really publicized that I have a, a personal website when I was in transition trying to find a job. But I'm going to look at it again. I'm going to go, geez, I don't really like that. I think that could be better. And that's good. That's inherent. We were designed and created that way. So, you know, in, in dating the two of us even more, as I took a look at your portfolio, I noticed, oh, you, you worked at MySpace. That's odd. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I that's did. Cool. I, I want to hear all about that because, you know, I grew up with MySpace when it launched and we all, I, I was part of, thankfully, I wasn't part of the crew that went over the top with their pages with just Microsoft, <laughs> uh, MySpace codes and just like adding a ton of 
you know, 10 MP3s and anxiety, like seizure inducing animations. True. People went, went over the top with that. But tell us a bit about your days as a designer in MySpace. Yeah, I appreciate you noticing that, Peck. And I appreciate the question too. I, I like talking about MySpace. It's definitely been, it's, it was an amazing journey. I like what Steve Jobs said. You can only connect the dots looking back. And I feel like I, before I kind of go into what it was like working there, I really want to touch on how I got there yeah. because I think there's a good lesson for the listeners. I'm a big advocate of growth mindset. I wouldn't be where I am today without it. I highest level of education completed GED right here. And yet I've been able to do what I love and I've been able to provide for my family my wife has been able to stay home with our kids and like that was a desire she had. She wanted to be there with them, to watch them take their first steps, to just watch them discover things, to be there. I know that's not for everybody and I know not everybody can do that. And I, if my wife didn't feel led to do that, I wouldn't have pressured her to do that. But I'm thankful that she did. And so all that to say, I really appreciate that and I feel extremely blessed that I've been able to do this work and do okay doing this. So growth mindset, everybody, if you haven't read Carol Dweck's, Dr. Carol Dweck's mindset book, I highly recommend it. It really changed my life. And I mean, that sounds so cliche, but it, it literally revolutionized the way I, I look at learning and the way I look at obstacles. And uh, I, I believe it will do the same for you. But going to answer your question here, as I mentioned, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, I started in code. I kind of started your first question. I mentioned how I was really fascinated with code. And so, and then HTML and then CSS, separating structure from style. That was an incredible innovation for web design. Amazing, revolutionary. And so I knew a little, I knew some, I knew enough to get a web page together. And then we, they got, we got the uh, box model in CSS and that made it even better to separate your structure because it was all HTML tables. You remember? It was all tables and those were so hard to work with, especially when you have three or four tables nested deep just to achieve a, a look and feel. It's a pain in the butt. And I'm not gonna even gonna go off on a tangent too much on how hard it was to make sure that design worked on all the three major browsers that they we had. They all had, had their quirks. Yeah. They did. Yeah, right. Especially Internet Exploder. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> You had to do an entire web, an entire code base just to make Internet Exploder work, uh, right. especially and, and people even had versions of for WAP. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thankfully, I never I never had to do that. But that was that existed. And you still had to reach the WAP people, too. So all that to say, I was in transition from a job and I needed something and a buddy of mine who I worked with at one of my early jobs on the web, he started freelancing, started his own thing like yourself. He started his own business and he happened to know somebody who worked for, who had his own agency that they were making websites for Interscope record label artists. And so he's like, hey man, I really could do some help here. I need I, I don't have enough time to do this, but would you be willing, would you be able to get the, take these Photoshop mock-ups that the agency created beautiful web designs for these artists? Obviously, they're paying a lot of money for a great website. And he's like, would you be willing to, to do that? And can you do that? And what's the default question that we say? Sure. <laughs> sure, I could do that. Yeah. 
I had no idea how to do that. <laughs> but you know what? I hunkered down and I started doing some research. I started looking at code more. Thankfully, we have, we've had that view source option in our browser for since probably nearly the beginning of, uh, especially Netscape. I think they may have been the first ones to do that. And yeah, I want to say we always internet. had it. Yeah. It's always been there. So the only thing stopping us is ourselves from really learning how a website works, how a web page is, is held together with code. And, and I, I'm sure that a lot of the folks and the folks you've talked to on your show and a lot of the early designers, they would say, that's how I learned code. I just deconstructed what was there. And, and I did that too. So I just started researching, doing a bunch of that. And, and I'll be honest with you, like the pay wasn't great for this, but I knew it was a good investment into my, my growth of being a, a designer slash developer at the time, front end developer, and also my career. Dang, I could say that I actually coded and I did, I coded the front end for M&M's record label, Shady Records. I did that. I did Maroon 5, Flyleaf, some of these uh, artists, and this was in the early 2000s. So all that to say, I learned how to do it. I, I think I only got like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks to, to create the, it was only the, the, thankfully it was only the, the front page, the homepage. And, and I think maybe an interior page. And, and then, you know, of course they'll populate that with the database and all that. So I, I just, I learned how to do it and I did it. And I mean, I'm up late, I'm up all night and falling asleep with a monster right next to me, <laughs> but Hey, I got that experience in yeah. and I was able to use that as a platform, as a springboard to when an opportunity came up for, oh, let me, before I get to the MySpace thing, th this is kind of a valuable kind of thing to also mention is my favorite band at the time, Jimmy Eat World, they had a MySpace contest. I was in a band. I was MySpace famous on my band and the Friend Blaster Pro software was so awesome. <laughs> we Blaster at one Pro. point, yeah, it was basically like somebody made a software where you can go on anybody's MySpace page and it will grab, it, it scraped all of the friends that they had and put it into a database. And, and if you saw a band that was relevant to your music offering, you just Ooh. go to their MySpace page, you yeah. grab, you, you scrape their friends their, list, their, and then their. you send friend requests, you blast friend requests to all of these. We had like four, nearly 40,000 quote unquote idea. fans. Yeah. It, it, dude, it opened up some doors for our band. We were MySpace famous for sure. All that to say, part of this journey was learning how to hack the MySpace profile. But for a long time, you could only do some very limited, you could, you had some control, of course, and that, that led to the demise. We could talk about that too. I've got a lot of opinions on the demise of, of MySpace, but they let you have controls. And the beauty of that was you had personalization to your profile. Nobody looked the same. And I thought that as a creative person, that's what I loved about MySpace. Facebook, everybody looks the same. Right, everybody is a cookie cutter. page as long as it's blue. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Just like Ford, Henry Ford. You can have any color you want as long as it's black. Yeah. So, but yeah, all that to say, I, I learned how to hack the MySpace profile code to where I could create containers and totally customize the, the look and feel of a MySpace profile completely out of the box. And uh, that was revolutionary. And so I did that on my, on my band profile. And then my, and Jimmy at world had this contest where they're like, Hey, we want you to design our MySpace profile. And I was like, all right, I'm all in. I want to do this. I, I designed a, a, 
amazing, I think amazing, but, and, and obviously I guess they did too, because I won the contest and it was uh, reflecting their album, Chase This Light. And so anyway, they kept my design up there and I was able to say, yeah, I'll launch this, but can, I need to keep my name at the bottom of it that I designed this. And they, you know how much tra traffic they're getting on their MySpace? Right. A yeah. lot. So I had, I got to keep my name at the bottom of it. I had like bands with no money hitting me up all the time. Can you do that for me? I was like, how much you got? But anyway, I won. I got that profile launched. It lived on their MySpace profile for over a year and a half. They kept it up there. So that was neat. All that to say that I was able to use my experience from the record label CSS and HTML stuff I did and my win on the Jimmy World MySpace profile contest to get a job at MySpace. There was a, an opportunity, a recruiter, local recruiter, let me know, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. It's with a really cool company. And I'm like, I'm interested. Who, who is it? And he's like, MySpace. I'm like, yes, set it up. And I met with the, who would be my manager. And I was able to kind of say, yeah, I can do HTML, CSS. That was an important part of our job. We were creative developers. We weren't interaction. We weren't necessarily interaction designers. A lot of these interactions are built into MySpace, but we still had to understand how they worked. But we, and we also weren't just web designers. We actually had to design the face of the profiles and then we had to code them, break them out into code and HTML, CSS uh, primarily, and use some JavaScript uh, code as well in there. So all that to say, looking back, I'm just so thankful for those opportunities because I was able to use my growth mindset, learn what I needed to learn, right? Just in time learning and, and use those as examples to get my foot in the door at a really cool company. I mean, the very first international social network we were. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. A common thread that I hear among older designers is most of them know how to do front-end code. And that's not always true with new, the younger generation of designers. You know, I interviewed recently YouTube's first designer, Yelp's first designer. And yeah, part of their job was, you know, when you design, but you also had to code it. And, you know, nowadays it's everything is so hyper-specialized. You, you can be a designer and never know anything about CSS, <laughs> not even the first thing about CSS. And it makes me a little sad. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And, and it's funny because I even got a comment on that when I was mentioning about building my own site, hand coding my own site. I got a comment from somebody saying, I don't think a lot of just what you just said. I don't I've never coded a site from scratch. There's always a platform. There's always a framework that is already a basis. I mean, I started with the doc type. That's how down and dirty I started with a, an HTML5 doc type. And then I just started filling in my linking my CSS. Do it. I mean, just from the ground floor. And it felt good to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To, to be able to do that. And it's, it is, it is kind of a, a personal kind of ego boost. Like, yeah, I, I hand coded this, but it just felt good to know that I could still, I think I was trying to prove that, see if I could still even do it because <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> And, and again, it does take longer when you don't do it every single day when it's not your job. And obviously I have an incomplete and unfinished website still at jasonogle.com, but you know, it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. Uh, funny story. I, I also landed a, I had side gigs throughout my day jobs. I was always trying to earn extra income. And I, I also had experience prof professionally, air quotes, uh, designing, well, implementing MySpace pages. And, and one that stood out was one of Cheech and Chong's MySpace pages. So that, that's a whole story in and of itself, which we won't <laughs> get into. 
But, you know, that's kind of part of my history and, and maybe part of Chi Chin Chang's history. So, yeah, you've had your podcast awesome. for a while. And I, I really like, you know, I'll call it the design of the podcast. Like you've taken the time to even create, you know, render your guests as superheroes. Tell me more about that and your thought process and, and kind of like your intent or of the design of your podcast, the User Defenders podcast. Because obviously there's, there was a lot of design that went into it. I appreciate you noticing that, Peck. I when I started a podcast, like I'm kind of a recovering perfectionist, and I mean, there's good and bad to that, right? Like for me, I just felt if I'm gonna do this, I want to go all in. I'm an extremist. I'm definitely um, an extremist, and I get a little obsessive. I'm just gonna be honest with everybody. And so, for in this case, it, I think it paid off because I was able to to when I had the idea of doing a podcast and then the name of the podcast came to me when I was on my drive to work and I, I realized that I, I really want to come up with some questions that amplify the reason I'm doing this podcast. And so, and, and I realized that I need it as an introvert and somebody who is just terrified and, and ang high anxiety of talking to folks and then wondering what to say next killed me and especially in the beginning of the podcast i'm like i need a set of questions to lean on if and when that happens so i can just cut right to a next question because i just yeah again i have social anxiety issues so i just i put those questions together they were very personal growth and design oriented and i think that's what makes this show the user defender show really unique is that it's both about design and personal growth i'm a big believer that being a great designer begins and ends with being a great human and really making yourself better to help make others better. I'm, I'm a big believer and I've seen it in my own life and I've, I just know it's true, right? Like I believe that you can't pour an empty cup into another. And that's not just a belief, that's a reality, right? If you have two empty cups and you're really wanting to fill one of them, what do you, you have to fill one of them first to do that. And, and I also believe that you can't lead others where you are not, where you yourself are not. And so that was a big part of doing the show, knowing there's so many new designers and, and knowing that UX was definitely the new hotness. It still is in this industry, in this field. So I just wanted to find a way to make the show stand out among, from other shows. I didn't want it to just be another show, I guess. I just, I wanted to have some sort of unique differentiator. The superhero thing was definitely a differentiator. And, you know, fighting for the users, user defenders is like, this all really makes sense to me. And because I'm a big believer, I, we have to fight for the users. Yes, we have to fight for the business. And we talked about this on your episode recently, Peck. You, you have to fight for the business. You have to fight for your engineers. You have to fight for your stakeholders, right? Because they also are users. And as you pointed out so astutely in that episode, I do, I have a lot of empathy for users because I'm a user. I don't care what Jacob Nielsen says. I'm a user too, as a designer. <laughs> I, I, I agree with him on many things, but not that. Because I think you become a better designer when you're uh, a rampant user. Yeah. Just makes sense to me. That's why I did that. The mm -hmm. way to become a better designer is, is to be a user. When you're, when you're designing in an ivory tower, I don't think you have that empathy or can relate. Exactly. Exactly. And then patterns, which was your first episode on user defenders. You talked a lot about design patterns. How do you learn design patterns if you're not looking at design patterns a lot and using them? 
By the way, that's、uh, just calling out the audience. <laughs> that's a great memory. I was what episode? What seven, seventeen,、oh、something, 17. something like seventeen? Yeah,、yep. so early, and I don't even know. Like, how did you even find me? I was like some no-name dude. Maybe I. Yeah, I'm gonna think about this for a second. Did you? I know you've been affiliated with Adobe for a while and doing stuff with them. I can't remember if you were on one of their blogs、mm. or something. Or I'm trying to reflect because it's been a while. I mean, well, we were, I, it was early. It was five years ago. Yeah, yeah. So a couple things. Do you know、uh, those、uh, T Hand Lax Photoshop UI kits? So maybe one of the things was the Apple Watch UI kit. You know, this is maybe for personal growth for people who are listening who want to stand out, right? Like, how do you stand out in a sea of designers? I always had a love hate relationship with those UI kits because it's like I had my own agency and I was like, oh, these, I, I, you know, you, every time you download it, it's like, oh, they, these are so great. I have to use them. They're they're, they're so useful. These、uh, T Hand Lacks、uh, Adobe,、um, well, iPhone iOS UI kits, but they were by this other agency, and they were just so well done. And I always had that love hate relationship of like, oh, these are so good, but I hated that since another agency. So one when the Apple Watch came out, it was announced. I was like. Nobody's done this yet. I'm going to be the first to do this Apple Watch UI kit. So I had one of the designers at the time. They didn't even have screenshots on their website yet. They did an announcement, and I had one of our designers painstakingly like just watch the video, hit pause, and like decipher <laughs> the designs and make the watch Apple Watch UI kit so that we were the first. And that definitely got us some huge SEO juice with、Redo. Adobe and and stuff like that. So maybe that that might have been one of them. One. Other things, yeah. yeah. You know what else it might have been too. I appreciate that. I don't know. I don't know if it was that, but I don't know if I knew you did that. So I think that's super impressive, and that was painstaking. I, I think one of the things that may have caught my attention of you was your marquee app you did for the movies. Oh、Because、yeah. I was working. I was working at NCM at the time that I kicked off the podcast, and NCM they, they do the ads before the movies at the major theater chains in America. So in fact. Fun fact: If you go to the movies, which I'm glad that folks are starting to get back to the movies, especially with Quiet Place too, right? That's what an achievement.、Uh, a lot of good buzz around that, getting people back in. But if you go to the movies early and you catch the、uh, movie show, you'll still see my ad. I'm in a commercial. Oh wow, that's so cool! <laughs> you'll see, you'll see my mug up there, and I've had several people. It's so great. It's five years. It's seriously, it's been up there for about four years. They've been broadcasting yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm nationwide. If you get to the movies early, my my mug is still nation nationwide. Okay,、uh, that's probably how I found you. Yeah, thank you for that because、oh. I have a good story about that because a lot of designers always, you know, people in any job, right? They they want to change careers or they have a new career and they always say, "Well, how do I get the experience if no one will hire me?" Right? <laughs> they they、yes. always say it's like, "Well, well、um, people want experience, but I don't have experience, so how can I get my first gig?" And、sure. I always say, "You you don't." Ask for permission. You don't wait for opportunity. You just do it. And the Marquee Movie app, as you know, it's a little dated right now, but I, in my opinion, it still looks good. But it was a way to showcase our our talent because it was、uh, one at the time. You know, we were doing a lot of B two B work, was which wasn't always sexy. And then also sometimes it came with strings where you couldn't show the work. You know, it was very competitive and. Under NDA, so you can show the work. So we, we we were doing great work, either great work which we couldn't show, or 
work that, you know, was enterprise and not so sexy and kind of boring. So how do you show that you're doing good work as an agency? And how do you, you know, if you want to do good, like amazing work, you can't wait to be hired to do it. You just do it. So the movie app came out of that as one, I looked, you know, at the time, I just wasn't happy about like Rotten Tomatoes or Flickster and kind of like the ilk. And I was like, I wish there was a better movie app. So we designed and built a movie app. One, because I felt like it needed to exist, right? Kind of in your theme, right? Like just make things better. And I, I yes. wanted a better movie app experience to, to see what's going to be showing. And then two, it was a way to showcase that we could do the work, right? It's, it was a chick. We, at the time, we were just starting our agency and we didn't have a lot of experience. So how do you show? Well, show me what you got. Show me, you know, is, is there an app in the app store? And I was like, well, here's this enterprise app. You can't see it because you got to buy the SaaS and, you know, they still haven't coded it and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's a lot of air talk and, and smoke and mirrors. So I, I decided to have an app that was in the app store that people could check out as an experience so that, you know, for people, folks in the career, you know, that you're thinking about changing your career or developing your career, don't wait and just start making, don't wait for permission. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's great advice. It's, I think that's one of the biggest pain points for new designers. I hear it time and again, and there's no magic wand really for this situation, it really is going to require just some grit and persistence and resilience and some, and growing some thicker skin in the midst of all that. Uh, and like you said, don't wait for permission, right? Yeah. Just go for it and start. There's opportunities all around us. If we're looking, there's opportunities. There's always a need, like, like the theme we're talking about, there's always something that could be made better. And I think as a user, one of the reasons that I love the theme of my show so much is that it is about fighting for the users. It is about being an advocate because they're the ones that have to suffer through this, this experience that, and it's our job as designers to really have empathy for them in the midst of that. And to look for opportunities and try to put yourself in their shoes as much as possible. Right. I think that's a big part of this. And if you have empathy for a, a product that you love and, or maybe it's, a church or a business nearby, whatever it is, you, and you see their website, you're a user of this website. And you're like, I know I could make this better. Go ask them if you can help. Go ask if you can help redesign their website or their app and document your journey. That's your first case study to get your foot in the door at an actual UX job. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And make it relevant. I would say, I would add, make it relevant. The reason I would say Jason got his job at MySpace because he had a ton of MySpace experience, you know, is it like, it would have been different if he had a ton of Friendster experience or high five, if we were going to dating ourselves a little more, but yeah, exactly. So I, I think, yeah. you know, make, make, you know, kind of be, I would say be intentional about the experience. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of what, not waiting for permission, what was the spark that kind of let you to create this pod, your podcast? Oh man, it has been a little while. So I, I, reflecting on that, I'll be honest with you. It was my morning routine that I started. I, I listened to Pat Flynn's podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't listen as much anymore, but I still like the guy and I, he's helping a lot of younger entrepreneurs. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Pat Flynn, Peck. And 
So I listened to my boss at the time. I didn't see him actually. He pointed me to Pat Flynn and the very first episode that I listened to was how he started a morning routine after reading Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning book. And so I was listening on the way home. It was a Friday. I remember this very vividly. It was a Friday on the way home. I was like, I'm going to check out this guy, Pat Flynn. And then, and I listened to him talk about how he being a night owl always in his life and career, always being a night owl, doing his work after the kids are in bed and, and really doing okay that way. And that's fine. He tried, he's, I'm not a morning person, but I'll try this. He tried doing it and it totally changed his life. And the whole episode, when I was listening, every point that he was making about all the things that he tried in the morning, I'm like, this is what I need in my life. This right here is what I need. And I'm like, Monday, I'm starting. I'm waking up at five in the morning and I did it. And I'm not kidding when I say this, it felt like Christmas morning. You know, that excitement, that refreshing feeling of it's Christmas. Yeah. You know, like I just felt like I was the only person awake. It was still dark. It was my time and it was my time to build myself up so that I could help others. Again, you, you put your oxygen mask on first. There's a reason they tell you that on the flights. And I know you've taken many flights, Peck, as a businessman, they put your oxygen mask on first before you help the little ones. Why? Because you can't help them if you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and like, I think about when you see somebody on the road broken down, like their car is not starting, they need to get their car out of the road. They're there. It's just them. And I live in 6,000 feet altitude in Colorado Springs. When I get out of my car to help somebody, I always want to help. When I get out of my car to help somebody push their car, I always feel like I'm, I'm just about to die from the oxygen deprivation and the, the physical labor that I'm doing at the time. But you know what? It's that whole analogy that I think is so important. We have to be fit for service. Yeah. We have to be fit for service. And that only begins when we when we put our oxygen mask on first, when we get ourselves farther, there's always going to be someone a little behind us. And there's always going to be people ahead of us too. And that's fine. But I think that we're each called to reach a certain amount of people in our entire lifetime, to build them up, to, to help them get better and to invest in them and to believe in them. And I think that this community, that the design community at large, especially newer designers, my heart is especially there. I know how hard it is. I, I believe that we're each meant to reach a certain amount of people in our lifetime. And we may never get a thank you. We may never uh, hear from these folks. It's always nice when you do. Like some of my favorite emails, like you read at the beginning of this time, you read a, a review that you got on your podcast. Doesn't that feel good? Just to know, even if one person is helped, even if one person is brought forward and they get that win and you had even a small part to do with that, that's a great feeling, man. And that's the feeling that I go for time and time and again, right? Even if that personal satisfaction, even if I never hear about it, if I hear one person is, is helped because of what, something I did or something I shared or, or one of my amazing guests that I've had on the show, it's all worth it. Yeah. Well, it's a very similar journey on why I'm doing this podcast is, you know, I've been in the weeds close to 10 years now in, in my own journey as an entrepreneur who started an agency. And I felt like I was out of touch with the craft of design or out of touch, you know, I've just been busy running the business and in working on myself, I wanted to keep good at my, my craft, but also connecting with other designers who are great at their craft. So kind of working on myself that way 
but you know your your superhero combos i, I like my video game co- analogies so I, I i i like that this what i call the two hit combo like if i'm working on myself and this artifact can be helpful to somebody else in their journey that's a good thing and that's also why one of the reasons i started this and to your point mornings you know if i could help save somebody maybe a decade of their life or, or more i used to you know i'm i'm still working on myself but one of the things that i recently and by recent it's probably been at least yeah probably a bit about a year but i started working an hour earlier and and working on myself rather than it used to be i would say for most of my career i show up to work and you know i'm just so service oriented just okay let's just ha- handle the fires who does what does everybody need right like that's how i started my day it's just like my first cup of coffee i open up my email I look at slack it's like okay what's on fire what do i need to put out what do i need to take care of and uh, you know it's just uh like almost a kind of a hamster wheel and and then working on myself was always kind of in the back burner but you know i think at points in my career and life i really felt deteriorated and uh, i think what's helped a bit is kind of like your habit is i i start work an hour earlier and then i don't check email i don't do anything like that i don't not i work on myself what does the business need to improve what do i need to be, to improve so that i can be a better leader for the team so that's you know if you can take away anything take away jason's advice here on on work on yourself because you can't help others if you can't help yourself Yes. Yeah, fully agree. Yeah. It's the start. Have you heard of the starfish story? Do you like that? Have you familiar with that? The starfish? No, please, please share. Okay. So I'll just paraphrase. I usually, it's usually better when I read it, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try to paraphrase here. I, I, I love the story. It's, I don't know if it's a true story, if it's an analogy, either way, it's great. There's a, a guy walking on the beach one day and in the distance, he sees this little boy and he sees him like constantly bending down, picking up an object and throwing it in the ocean. And he just sees him continue to do this over and over again. And as he gets closer, he realized that he realizes that there's thousands of starfish washed up on the shore dying. They're, they're not going to survive long. And so this little kid, he's doing everything he can to try to save as many starfish as possible. And as the guy gets closer to the kid, he's like, what are you doing? Like, you can't possibly, look at how many starfish there are. You can't possibly make a difference for all of these starfish. And, you know, the kid kind of sad, kind of frowns a little bit, looks down at the ground and then proceeds to pick one up and throw it into the ocean. And he looks at the guy and he says, I made a difference for that one. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Yeah. Well, you certainly are making an impact with, with your podcast. I, I see a lot of listeners. You've, you've done a great job and you've got a lot of readership and viewership audience. Uh, what do you call a podcast? Uh, listenership. Listeners. Yeah, yeah. Listenership. <laughs> that sounds weird. But keep doing, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing, man, because you're inspiring. And, and people still continue to discover me through your podcast, you know, I'll get LinkedIn oh, connects. Great. Hey, Jason did a good job. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And uh, that's why they <laughs> connect. So thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool to hear, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you say you're an introvert. I, I have to say I, I'm the same way. I actually started off even testing 
kind of like a sort of a, a solo format podcast and I just couldn't do it. I just felt so uncomfortable in my skin. Every time mm. I listen to it, I, I kind of cringe, but it's no, <laughs> I hear you. Know, <laughs> but if it's a conversation, then it kind of like everything just fades away and, and I can possibly pull this off. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I'm, I totally identify with that, man. I totally do. And I doing my first monologue episode that I did, I, I, I still, it felt so uncomfortable to me, but I'm like, I got to do this. And I'm glad I did because it was yeah. definitely a step out of the comfort zone. And that's always, always good. But I think it's a, a little easier to get out of your own head when it's a conversation. Yeah. And yeah. I think the be- best content, honestly, I think a lot of the best content comes from a, just a total free flowing conversation. Uh, and I feel like we've, we definitely have had that today. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, I yeah. need, I definitely need my Wayne, uh, a Wayne to my Garth to, to date myself a bit <laughs> I, it, by myself. I'm kind of like that scene where, where Wayne just leaves and Garth just looks in the, like a deer in oh. headlights. <laughs> that's, that's still one of the funniest movies and they made two of them and they're both hilarious. They're, it's, it's awesome. So yeah, if you haven't seen great. it, go, go check out Wayne's world. It's one of my favorite <laughs> movies. Well, Jason, thank you so much. And we're going to link your podcast to the show notes. And is there anything else you'd like to promote? Just, I, I don't know. I think just the whole theme of this conversation, really, I really believe in that. I really, I, I think that each of us, there's so much potential that each of us has. I think that we just don't believe it enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think that somebody needs to hear that. Somebody's <laughs> feeling down. Somebody's feeling down. Somebody's just feeling like they're not worth anything. They can't contribute anything. They can't add value. That's a lie. That is a bold faced lie. You can add value. You can contribute. You can inspire someone. You can save someone's life just by being a light in a world that just obviously it just seems dark sometimes in this world. And it seems like uh, we live in really divided times. We live in, in times where I think the empathy level has decreased so much among so many fellow humans. And it's sad. It saddens me to, to see that. And I just, I know we can do better. I know we can. And I yeah. guess that's what I would want to leave your listeners with. I appreciate it. That's another kind of little bit of theme in my podcast is I definitely want to showcase more diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. with this podcast and yeah, hopefully make it more, more inclusive and, and, and unite us rather than divide us. Yes. Yes. And amen. Yeah, thank you. And I got to ask, I got to ask Peck. Go for it. <laughs> One of the things that just your fun fact on your show about being Mortal Kombat mocap <laughs> act, actor. I still think that's one of the coolest things, man. Now, I, <laughs> I will say, yeah, I will say, I, my son, for my birthday recently, he took me to see the new Mortal Kombat movie. And of course I thought of you, but I really enjoyed it. I thought that was so fun. That was a good Did movie. Yeah, oh, I saw the so movie. So well done. It, Screw it the is. critics. They don't know what they're talking about. No, it was a really fun, enjoyable movie. So yeah, if you haven't seen the Mortal Kombat movie, you should check it out. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> no, on. no, no. Well, <laughs> per, per Jason's comment, yes, I, I was involved in the video games, starting with Mortal Kombat 5 on the PlayStation, all the way to Mortal Kombat, which was basically their reboot, which is uh, Mortal Kombat 10. They just called it Mortal Kombat. And... Uh, you know, complete reboot. Uh, so I did six games in total, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then MK versus DC Universe. So cool, man. 
Yeah, it was fun. It's one of those things where people remember you for it, but for me, it was a small part of my martial arts life. It was a blip. If you if you play any like highly competitive sports, right? Most of what you do is just training and practice and training and practice. Competitions also were a small aspect of that, right? You 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 train a lot, and then competition, like our competition, lasts for a few minutes, right? Like. The whole competition can last several days, but you know you're waiting around, you're sitting around, you're warming up, cooling down, and then when you go, it's like literally three minutes and it's over. So like, <laughs> you, yeah, I've won won some stuff, but really, competition is a small part of it. And then the Mortal Kombat stuff also is a small part of it in the sense that you know when they call you, really, it's over the span of a few days. You know, they have a huge move list. Let's get through this. You're going to do these characters. And uh, you're being paid by the hour, so it's their incentive to just knock it out. And so we we have long days of a grueling work. I you know it's not unusual to have an eight or ten hour day of just really physical activity. So you're doing hundreds of moves, several each character is hundreds of moves, so maybe four or five hundred moves, six hundred moves. And if you're wow. acting out two, three, four, five characters, my wife always like I'm just. Out once, and then it's like I, I don't know where I pull it from, but you know, you get called maybe two, three, maybe five days, and then you do that all in you know in that compacted, condensed time frame. But then after that, my body, you know, it's like maybe it's adrenaline, right? But then once it's over, you're I'm just out. <laughs> And, um, but, uh, but it's work. a good experience. It's good experience. But one thing that maybe my martial arts journey has sh- kind of helped me is uh, learn is that you don't get good. You get good through just practice, training and practice, having good mentors, having good coaches, and, and just by sheer repetition. You know, you're like, I think a lot of people are impatient where they don't see results right away. You know, when I teach, when students get frustrated, I'll always say something like, well, how many times have you done it? Have you done it a thousand times, this kick or this move? If you haven't, then it's okay. You're, it's, everybody's going to be, you, know, you haven't developed the muscle, the coordination, the muscle memory, and it's okay to, but if you're still, if you're doing it for several years and you still suck, then there's, then there's something wrong. But as long as you, you practice, you train, you, you're passionate about it, you have good mentors and you seek out, you have someone to course correct you, that's all you can do. And then you just put in the time. Yeah. Practice what you do. And that trickles right into design. Yeah. And I I like the journey. I think we need to bring more of the apprentice, journeyman, master journey into UX. Because it's usually like you're either just learning or you should just know everything. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate the boot camps and everything. I know they help some folks. But you're not going to be an expert UXer in six weeks or less. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a, not going to happen. Right. I mean, anything yeah. six weeks, right? Like just, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Cooking, boxing, gardening, right. yoga, anything six weeks, you're not going to come out and be have a huge career. It's what you invest right. in after that. I think that's yeah. the appetizer. That's like the teaser trailer. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's that, that the whole sushi concept, right? Like the, I think there's a Netflix documentary hero or something does sushi or I, I can't remember. But Jiro. Yeah. Yes. Jiro does sushi and this it's nuts. It's 20 years. If you right. want to be, if you want to be an apprentice to this master, right. You spend you the first few years on rice, 20- the first few years on rice, then you move up to vegetables and you 
it's like a decade goes by before you even touch fish. <laughs> what do you think the attrition rate is? <laughs> right, right. Like people here don't have the patience for that, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But but that's the skill and craft of, you know, a Michelin star sushi restaurant and a craftsman who's been doing it for decades. I believe yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure having you here. I always enjoy our conversation. Thank you, Peck. Right. It's been great being here. I appreciate the invite and I've always enjoyed talking to you. So I, I hope that the things we've shared add value and inspiration to the listeners. I, I, something tells me that it will because uh, <laughs> I, I just, I love your heart for service too. And I love that you're really you're giving back so much. And so you keep doing what you're doing too, man. I heard somebody that kind of worded it. I, I like how he worded it. Like giving back is like giving back insinuates that I took something from people. And it's like, I, I never really took anything, but I just, you just have to give, you know, like I like, and, and, and then you'll get something back. You'll get something. And maybe it's from somebody else. And, 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 and Jason's definitely given me uh, exposure and a platform and i'd like to give back and get him to share his story here thank you buddy i appreciate it thanks all right thanks everyone and uh, see you on the next one thank you for joining us on this episode of what is ux if you like this episode be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform if you leave us a review i'll make sure to shout it out on the show if you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.